Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. It's like five weeks in a row. My voice is being stretched. I don't know if you hear to my voice, but I, I, I feel like in my head I sound like the Marlboro Man up here. So um, I've enjoyed being up here five in a row. Um, today we're going to start a new series. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, uh, John 6 to be specific. Um, but before we kind of jump into that, just want to talk to you about something that has been tugging at our heartstrings here at church this week a little bit. As Many of you know this week there was a hurricane named Matthew that came through the Caribbean and up the southeast coast of the United States, and it has destroyed many things in its path. There are billions of dollars in property damage. There are hundreds of thousands of people who are without electricity at this point, and uh, sadly they are reporting at least 17 people in the U.S. have passed away because of this. Um, I say these things because I think sometimes we can become a little bit, I don't think it's intentional apathetic, but because we're not connected to things that we sometimes can forget of the harshness and the tragedy that are going on in the people's lives that are around us. And so today, I just want to remind us to pray for these people and their plights, pray for those who have been um, stricken with some tragedy, that God would be their peace, that he would bring resources to them. And while my heart does care for the people of Florida and Georgia and South Carolina, today my heart just breaks for the people of Haiti. I don't know if you guys have watched much of the news, and I don't know if it has been reported, but Haiti has been really decimated from Matthew. Um, they're reporting at least 900 people have died on the island. It's a small island. 90% of the south part of Haiti was destroyed. There are over 500,000 people who are stranded right now on the southern part of the island. Um, and, and we at this church have a strong history with the people of Haiti. There are many of you who have sat in this room who have been face-to-face -face with the Haitian people, and the people of Haiti are hurting today. And unlike America, where there are trucks on the way and supplies being expedited and insurance companies writing out paychecks already, there are very few that are coming for the people of Haiti. Last week, I stood up in front of you and said, we want to be a church that has a generous heart, that we want to help when and where we can when it makes sense. God has challenged our value this week. And today, I'm just going to stand in front of you today and say, we need help. We need help. Jill. Uh, um, Jill Gerber is a missionary to Haiti. She is in this congregation, and she travels to Haiti often. And she talked to me this week about um, an organization called RCD that she works with hand in hand. And they're great people. They're a Haitian organization that goes out and tries to find the need of the Haitian people. And they employ people from Haiti to remedy the problems. These aren't teams of missionaries that are coming in and out. These are the Haitian people doing things for the Haitian people from Haitian people. And they have already identified at least 18 places that, of what I would say Jesus would call the least of these the orphans and the widows and the handicaps. They've identified projects in which Matthew has destroyed homes and places, and they want to help. They want to bring resources to them, but they need people like us to help. And so today, I'm just coming before you as a pastor of this church and saying, would you consider giving an offering above your tithe that you give here for the people of Haiti this week? However you go about doing that, would you consider it? Make sure you communicate to us, whether it's in the memo line of your check or on the envelope, how you want your money given in which direction. Um, Jill is here today. If you have questions and you want to talk to her, please see her. There are times, church, 
when God calls us to respond, he calls the church to respond, and this is one of those chances for us to respond. So I pray that you would take um, some stock in, in thinking about how you can come along and help. Um, so I'll just spend a little time here in prayer for the people in our states here and the people of Haiti, and then we're going to jump into our word today. Father, we just come before you today we're just with heavy hearts that um, we, we live in Indiana that doesn't get touched by tropical storms and devastation like this nature. Um, God, will you remind our hearts of the burdens that these people face in their lives right now? Will you help us to be earnest in our prayers for them that you would allocate resources and bring support and bring peace to, the, to their hearts and their lives? And God, we specifically pray for the nation of Haiti that you would just bless it and touch it in a way that meets their deepest needs. We, you do that in our life, and we pray that you would do that in this nation. Help us to learn how we can help, Father. We love you and pray this in your awesome name. Okay. So, this week, I know this is rough transition, but this week we're going to start a series called Enough. It's a study in the I Am Statements of Jesus that he says in the Gospel of John. And so we're going to spend time breaking down these statements and trying to understand what Jesus is really saying when he says these things. We're going to talk about six different areas from um, contentment to direction, purpose, hope, peace, and oh, contentment, direction, protection, hope, peace, and purpose. All of this using the words that Jesus himself spoke, hopefully pushing us towards a better understanding that he is everything that we need. Not just everything. When Jesus says, I am, he is more than enough for us. He is more than enough for us. I think sometimes in life, we can have this subtle belief that if I just had this or if this would go my way, then life would be better. If I had this much, then I would have just enough. The problem with that is that it is just perpetually in motion from one thing to the next. Like I remember early on in my life being in middle school, just thinking, if I can just survive the days of middle school here and get into high school, things are going to be better for me. And then I got into high school, and I thought, Man, if I can just get through high school and get to college, college is going to be so much better. And then I got into college, and at the end of college, I was like, man, if I could just get through college and get into a career that I love, life is going to be so much better. And then I got into the career that I loved, and I thought, man, it would be fun to be back in college again, wouldn't it? And so we find this contentment in life hard to find because we're always striving to find it in different places. Jesus speaks very plainly that he is what is the contentment of our life, and that is what we're going to talk about today. There's a story of a rich man who walks up and is disturbed when he sees a fisherman just standing next to his boat, and he walks up to the fisherman, and he says, why aren't you out fishing? He said, well, I've got enough for today. That's all I need. He said, well, why don't you go out and catch more than you need? He said, well, what would I do with them? Well, you could sell them and make more money, and then you could buy a nicer boat and go deeper out into the lake and fish deeper, catch more fish, and then you make more money. He looked at this like he's silly, and he said, then you can take that money, and you could buy nets, and, and you could make even more money by getting more fish, and then you could buy a fleet of boats and even make more money by getting more fish, and then you could be rich like me. And the fisherman looked at him and said, well, then what would I do? He said, well, then you could sit down and enjoy life. And the fisherman replied to the rich man, 
Well, what do you think I'm doing right now? It is often said that discontentment can make the rich man poor, while contentment can make the poor man rich. Jesus makes some pretty provocative claims here in John 6. And we're going to see him pushing us towards this idea of contentment in our life, of him being all that we really need in life. He makes this bold and profound statement that says this. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Today, we're going to spend the rest of our time kind of breaking that phrase down, breaking it down its context, and trying to understand what that really means. So let's just kind of jump into our text in John 6. We're going to start in verse 25. But before we do that, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a background to this. What is happening before this story is that we see Jesus in front of a multitude of people and takes five loaves from a young boy and two fishes. He blesses them and he feeds miraculously 5,000 people. And the Bible records that after the event that 12 baskets full of leftover bread were taken up and all had their fill miraculous event. People are so blown away by Jesus, he's getting a ton of attention. They're saying he's a prophet. Some of them are so amped up that they tried to take him by force and crown him king. And so Jesus kind of flees away. He withdraws himself to the mountains. His disciples stay there. And in the evening, his disciples board the only boat there to cross the sea to the other side. Somewhere in the night, we see the story of Jesus walking across the water, meeting his disciples on the boat, and then they instantly become, or they instantly arrive at shore. The people notice that his disciples and Jesus are gone, so they hop in their boats, and they take off in search of him, and that's where we pick up John 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get, come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So the first thing that jumps out to me in this text is that Jesus instantly forecasts their hearts, instantly knows their desires. They did not say a single word. He knew their hearts immediately. It says that you are seeking me not because you saw signs. They're not in love with Jesus. They're not following him because they think he's amazing. They're following him because they, they ate their fill of bread and they want more bread. Anytime we see in Scripture these words, truly, truly, or verily, verily, we take special notice of these things. Jesus is heightening this verse to say, pay attention to these things. They're important. And he's saying, look, you're not seeking me because you love me. You're seeking me because you want benefit from me. And so we can just jump to the conclusion in our life by reading this text, that Jesus knows our hearts. Like it's not just limited to John 6, like Jesus knows our hearts. He's not fooled by our actions. He's not fooled by our words. He knows our hearts. God speaking to Samuel in the first chapter of the prophet's book, Chapter 6, verse 7, seven says this, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on an outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And, whoa, and this reminds us that Jesus, what does he want? He wants our hearts, not our actions, not our words, our hearts, and he is not distracted, all right? Can we just, he is not distracted by your attempts to look more righteous, for your attempts to look prettier than you are. He knows your heart. He knows what bread that you are after. 
And so Jesus quickly addresses the problem of the heart, and then he begins to teach them the important things to understand. And we'll pick it back up here in John 6 and verse 27. It says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you give that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, there it is again, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said this and to him, Sir, give us that bread always. And so this kind of interaction is just extremely fascinating, relevant, and it's sort of funny to me that Jesus is saying, like, do not pursue after the bread of this earth. Do not pursue after earthly bread. It spoils, it rots. Go after the food that endures. And he is subtly saying, like, this is me. This is me. But these people are consumed with one thing, and it is getting more bread. And the interaction is just kind of humorous. They say, okay, so what do we have to do? How do we have to work for this bread, Jesus? And he says, well, you have to believe in me. And they say, well, then show us a sign so that we can believe in you, Lord, and then we can get our bread. And do we not remember that these are the same people that just crossed the sea, that saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, and they want another sign now? And then they remind him of Moses giving to their brethren, the Israelites in the desert. Well, Moses provided bread for his people in the wilderness. The inference to Moses here is to say, like, look, Moses, when the Israelites came around, Moses he, they just wandered with him for 40 years, and, and Moses provided bread for them for 40 years, Jesus. Can we just attach ourselves to you and just get the spoils of the, the goodness that is you? Can you just give us bread? And Jesus says, no. Look, you fail to understand that that bread did not come from Moses, but that bread came from God. And then I love the response. Well, give us this bread always. Like, this is, reminds me of my interaction with my two-year-old. Like, Camille will ask me for a cupcake, and I'll say, no, we're not going to do a cupcake right now. And then she'll say, now, granted, my two-year-old speaks a little bit different than I do, so I'm interpreting for her. Uh, she's a little bit. Can I just have a little bit of the cupcake? And I'll say, no, not, you can't have a little bit of the cupcake. And then she'll say, can I just look at it? Can I look at it? Maybe you've had this. And I'll say, no, you can't look at it. You can look at it later. And you better believe that when later happens, whenever it is, that she reminds us that she wants to look at that cupcake. She has just one thing on her mind. And the people here in this story just have one thing on their mind, one desire of their heart, and it is an earthly desire. It is an earthly desire. So this verse, I think if we read this, we have to ask ourselves this question, looking at these people, what is the desire of your heart? What is the desire of our heart? What is the one thing that you look for to the most satisfaction in life? What is the one thing that consumes your thoughts, that consumes your words? What do you seek? Is it Jesus or is it other things? Are we like the people in this text that just want free stuff? Like we believe that if I just connect myself to Jesus, that somehow I'm going to benefit from this. 
Many of the people in this chapter, in this verse, in this time span with Jesus, were hoping that Jesus would be a political savior. That's some of their interpretation from the Old Testament, that a king was going to come, and he's going to be a political savior, and he was going to make them great again. And so they were looking for this. And we see in John 6 that they tried to force, forcefully come to him and crown him king. They are looking for political solutions here. They're looking for free handouts and material goodies. Jesus is just the latest and greatest gravy train that they're hooking their wagons to. And we may think that these people are silly, but we can see this type of attitude of practicing, putting ourselves, connecting ourselves to people who we think might benefit our plight in life if I just connect myself I mean, the example that we see in this text of people attaching themselves to Jesus to benefit from the spoils of what he could do is no different than what we see today. Is this not the political climate that we're in? Are there not vast amounts of people who just want to attach themselves to some individual that they might get free stuff with little effort because of it? And we know that true contentment does not come in pursuing after the things of this world. And so this group of people in John aren't a motley crew of people, silly people, that have misplaced and displaced motives. They're us. Sin does not skip a generation. Wickedness is our set position. And so it's important that we never confuse Jesus with just good company. Like Jesus is just not good company. Like I'm good company. Jesus can't be that because of the kind of claims that he made. So we don't treat him like that, and we don't treat him like he's some trophy that we gain. He's not something that we claim ownership over. It's not like, got a car, check, house, check, 60-inch LED, check, Jesus, check, iPhone 7, check. He's not some sort of thing that we just put on our list as a resume in life to make us ourselves feel better. He cannot be that with the kind of claims that he makes here. And so we see Jesus in this um, Gospel of John starting to get specific about who he is, why he is here. He's making himself known. And so let's pick up John again in verse 35. Jesus said, it's kind of a lengthy piece of scripture. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have sent me and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should, not, should, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And so the Jews grumbled about him because he, he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourself. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. 
I am the bread of life. You ate manna in the wilderness, and they, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of his, this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so Jesus' claims here are not objective. If anybody ever makes a claim to you that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah while he was on earth, you take him to John 6. Because these claims are not objective. They are crystal clear. He's saying, I am the bread of life. He himself is the bread that has been poured down from heaven that those who believe, those who eat of it, those who trust in that flesh will receive eternal life. And those who have trusted him, those who have faith in them, those who have ate of his flesh are there because God has drawn him towards them. He is the bread that brings eternal life. He is what satisfies our thirst and our hunger for stuff. He is the contentment of our souls on earth. And so this thing escalated like really quickly from people wanting to eat more stuff to Jesus saying, I am all that you will ever need to eat from. And they are baffled by his claims because they're like, is this not Joe's son? Like we know his mother. How can he be from heaven? And so this bread of life thing is baffling to him. It's a powerful phrase that he would say that he's the contentment for our soul. And he says that we are to eat of his flesh. Let's just look at here in John 6, 53. This is what Jesus says that we are to do with the bread. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as they taught in Capernaum. So, Jesus is foreshadowing his death here. He is foreshadowing that whoever feeds on my flesh, whoever drinks of my blood will have eternal life. Christ knows that he is going to the grave. He knows the manner in which he is going to die. He is saying to these people, much like he said to the disciples in the Passover room when he broke his bread, that this, I am breaking my body for you, okay? I'm breaking my body. I'm shedding my blood for you. Eat and drink of it. Eat and drink of it. Now, it's important that you understand that God is not literally saying, eat of my actual fat flesh and drink of my actual blood. This isn't cannibalism here, okay? I think there are many people probably in this crowd that were probably kind of confused on that. Let's just be honest. Like, is it going to cannibal? And there actually is some truth that early Christians were speculated to be cannibals because they did speak of eating of the flesh of Jesus and drinking of his blood. But that's not what this is saying. It's saying that we should eat of his flesh. And it's more than just like what we did last week. Like last week we came in communion, we broke the bread, we drank the juice in remembrance of the atonement of the sacrifice of Jesus. Communion isn't an atoning act in itself. It is a remembrance of the atoning act. So what does it mean when I say the term, the bread of life, I should say Jesus says the bread of life. What does it mean to eat of the bread of life. This is a beautiful analogy to 
food and how it works in our body. Many of you who came in here ate a donut, right? Probably not the most healthy choice for it, but nobody's judging, right? Nobody's judging us in here. It's great conversation food. But when you ate that donut, what happened to that donut? And don't get super specific with me, okay? I don't need to know the process. But that donut went into your mouth. Okay, maybe I am getting specific, but I'll stop at a certain point, okay? That, that goes into your mouth. Your body begins to digest it. It breaks it down into nutrients. And where do those nutrients go? They go from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes. They go down to the smallest organism and smallest cell in your body. That's what bread does. That's what a donut does. Maybe not the best choice, but it does bring substance to our body. What Jesus is saying when he says, I am the bread of life, eat of this bread, he is saying, eat of me, of my life, of my words, of my power as the nourishment of your life. That it is what should sustain you and bring you freedom and joy in life. Everything that you do down to the smallest thing should be informed and nourished by the Father. We are to eat of his life, eat of his word, eat of his power. He is what sustains us. He is the food that we eat that we will never thirst again. Not in literal ways, but he is the contentment for our souls. And so this kind of beautiful symmetry, this beautiful story of food and how Jesus brings it into the bread of life is so profound. I found myself thinking this week, how do I kind of, how do I kind of communicate this to kind of help us have this kind of rhythm in life? How do we help you have the rhythm of understanding that Jesus is my sufficiency? He's all that I need. He is the bread of my life. And look, I don't want to rob the Spirit because the Spirit is... Many of you know that he's the bread of your life because the Spirit is active and alive. But sometimes we kind of get in the way of what the Spirit's trying to do in our lives. And it's important that we do renew our minds. Like, we are called to renew our minds. And proper thinking, proper perspective goes a long way in helping that. And the Spirit kind of makes our heart transformed through that. So I just want to give you three practical things today that I think could help us establish Jesus as the bread of our life, the sufficiency of our life, um, as a rhythm of our life. The first one is this, is that we would just pray this. Pray, Lord, help me to learn to love you more. Lord, teach me to learn to love you more. That we could just have an authentic, real conversation with the Father about ourselves. That we would not wouldn't pretend that we're better than we're at. That we would just confess with our mouth and pray in a way that we would communicate our dependency on him. That we confess our pride. We confess our self-centeredness. That we confess our sinfulness. Confess our weaknesses. That we would just own our lives. That he would help us to kind of overcome ourselves. That we would own our hearts. Like, can we just admit, okay? Because I think some of us have this belief can we just admit that the world isn't some grand piece of Ikea furniture that we're trying to assemble by ourselves without instructions? Like, we need some help in this. We need some help in this. So be the kind of person that comes to the Father and prays, Lord, teach me to love you more. Father, teach me to love. Submit your heart in a way that shows and brings dependency on him. God will give us the desires of our hearts. He will Give us the desires of our hearts. And that is in both good and bad ways. So pray in a way that, takes, that you take your eyes off the things of this earth and put them squarely on the Father who is our sufficiency, our bread of life. The second is this thought. 
Is this what he would have for me? I know it's a question, but just go with me. Think this. Is this what he would have for me? Is this what he would have for me? Would this, whatever I'm doing, align up with the Father's heart, with the Father's way? Would this bring honor to him? Could we ask this question? Could we think this thought in our head? Is this what he wants for me here? Is, is this what he wants for me in this relationship? Is this what he wants for me in this decision? Is this what he wants for me in my usage of time? Is this what he would have for me in my usage of money? Could we consider that in thought? And I'm telling you, if that becomes a rhythm of your life, you better believe that it will cost you. Because when we begin to think about God over man, we begin to transform our lives to honoring him, it will cost us. You will be overlooked. You may be demoted. You could even be fired because you're not the type of people who would lie to somebody, manipulate, deceive somebody for your own personal gain, or for other people who are telling you to fix things so you may make a better profit or more results. If we are asking, is this what you would have for me in this? It opens us up to have some negative connotations in our earthly kingdoms, but it is for our betterment. Is this what you would have for me, Father? And the third is this. Ask, do I need this? Do I need this? Do I need this? This is a question we literally could ask ourselves hundreds of times in a day. Do I need this? Do I really need this to be happy? Do I really need this to survive? Do I really need this to look good? Do I really need this to feel better? And last week we talked about kind of this propensity we have for stuff. that We recognize that, look, grocery stores and have over 30,000 items today, and in the 80s they had 6,000. Like, we love stuff more than ever today. We need to ask ourselves this question, do I need them? If Jesus is the bread of my life, do I need this? And it's not just limited to our stuff, it's in our actions. Like, do I need to do this thing to make myself feel better? Or could I just believe that God says I'm enough for him? Do I need to commit this sin because I need some relief in life? Or could I understand that that shame that you walk in, that when you are fully known by the Father, he has called you out of that darkness and he does not condemn you anymore. Could we maybe understand that? So we have to understand the thought in asking ourselves the question, do I need this when it comes to the knowledge that Jesus is the bread of of life. And so these are three kind of simple things, a prayer, a thought, and a question that we could ask ourselves to gain a little traction in this area of understanding Jesus as the bread of our lives. Remember, remember, Jesus knows our hearts, right? He knows the desires of our hearts. What type of people are we? Are we just attaching ourselves to Jesus to get free stuff, or are we eating of his bread? Are we eating of his bread? Jesus says that I am the bread of life. Are you eating of it? Because eating is necessary. If you want eternal life, eating is necessary. You can't just come and say, well, I like, I like Jesus. You can't just come and say, I admire him. You just can't come, well, I have a lot of respect for Jesus. We do that all the time, but you can't just come and admire. You have to eat of his flesh, believe in him fully. Eating is necessary in the Christian life, that we would think about how his way, his words, bring sufficiency to our life. So for that to happen, what does Jesus say? He says we have to be hungry. And so the question is, 
Are you hungry? Do you know what hunger is? It's an aching from your spirit that knows that you're empty. It's the Holy Spirit working inside of you that says, look, I'm not eating the right bread. Then the Father begins to draw himself to to Jesus, to himself. The hungry see the bread and they eat it. So do you know you're hungry? And if you're in here today and you realize for a long time that I'm hungry, then eat of his bread. It will be nourishment for your soul. And so the challenge for us today is that we want to do the kind of work that God wants us to do. And that work is to believe in him, the one who who God sent Jesus to follow him, to believe in him, to deepen our relationship with him. Whoever comes to me, he says, shall shall never be hungry. Who believes in me shall never thirst, not just on ordinary food, but deep, profound food that brings everlasting life. The food of the Spirit and the food of Jesus can give us life after this life. And so today I pray that you would hear the words of God and understand our need for the bread of life and that we would understand it in a way that it would bring contentment to our lives, that would, it would save us from a life of pursuit of worldly things and worldly pleasures and that he would bring the contentment of our souls because we understand this that he is more than enough for us. He is more than enough for all that we need. I am the bread of life. Let's pray. Father, I just come before you today and I am just asking that you would, that you would move in our hearts. The Spirit would just open our minds to understand that you have given us far more than what we could ever need in this life and that our pursuits of things of this earth Our pursuits of worldly things are not the nourishment of our soul. And God, that you would wake us up to our hunger and that we would eat of your flesh, we would drink of your blood, that we would claim you with all of our might as more than enough for us. So Father, we thank you for your words today. We thank thank, thank you that you are the great I am, that I am the bread of life. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, today we're going to kind of do something a little bit different. If you're here today and, and you just feel like God is pushing you just to get prayed for, just, we want to invite you to come down here and pray. We, our prayer team is going to stay in here. And if you need prayer during this song, just feel free to make your way up here. And we have people who would love to pray for you.